The scene was so gruesome, investigators could barely speak. A three-and-a-half-week-old baby lay dismembered in the bedroom of a single-story house. Three of his tiny toes chewed off, his face torn away, his head severed, and his brains ripped out. At this particular scene, you could have heard a pin drop, San Antonio Police Chief William McManus said. No one was speaking. It was about as somber as it could have been. Officers called to the home early Sunday, found the boy's mother, Audie Sanchez, sitting on the couch with a self-inflicted wound to her chest and her throat partially slashed, screaming, I killed my baby. I killed my baby. Police said she told officers the devil made her do it. Sanchez, 33, apparently ate the child's brain and some other body parts before stabbing herself. It's too heinous for me to describe it any further, McManus told reporters. Sanchez was charged with capital murder and the death of her son. She went right from the murder scene to be treated at the hospital for her self-inflicted wounds. The slaying occurred a week after the father's the father of the child moved out. Adi Sanchez's sister and her sister's two children, ages five and seven, were in the house, but none were harmed. Now, the woman told the authorities that the devil made her mutilate and dismember a newborn. She was found not guilty by reason of insanity in a deal that sent her to a state mental institution rather than to face a trial and possible prison sentence. Defense attorneys entered the plea on behalf of Adi Sanchez, and it was accepted shortly thereafter as part of an agreement with prosecutors. Scott Wesley Sanchez was three weeks old when authorities, who received a frantic 911 call from the boy's aunt, arrived to find his mutilated body in Sanchez wailing the devil made her do it on the call sanchez can be heard screaming i didn't mean to do it he told me to while her sister pleads for an ambulance let's go over the mental evaluation should we in the mental Evaluations and the interviews, Sanchez details using drugs for the first time in 2006. She says it was at that time that she first began to hear voices. Drug use led her to Austin where she attempted to track down a former boyfriend named Victor. While in Austin, she was admitted to the Austin State Hospital. Doctors at the hospital diagnosed her with psychosis. However, she was issued a prescription and released. On June 20, 2008, Ms. Sanchez was seen at the Center for Healthcare Services in San Antonio. Court documents indicate that she was paranoid, mildly delusional, depressed, and psychotic with hallucinations. Her medication was changed. While on the medication, the voices in Sanchez's head went away. But unable to afford the cost of the medication, Sanchez stopped taking the psychotropic medication. Shortly after going off the meds, Sanchez became pregnant. During her pregnancy, she was sent to a counselor for depression. However, she did not want to go on any medication. After the birth of baby Scott, 
Adi Sanchez slipped into further depression and the voices began to return. On July 20th, 2009, Ms. Sanchez was taken by EMS to the Metropolitan Methodist Hospital. And according to the report by Dr. Sellers, Adi Sanchez had auditory and visual hallucinations as well as delusions. Sanchez indicated that she needed to be hospitalized. However, she was discharged to her sister, and that's why she was living at her sister's house. Now, in the days leading up to the death of baby Scott, Sanchez said she was paranoid, fearing that people were spying on her and plotting to take her baby from her. Her paranoia became worse when the voices began to get worse. For days, Sanchez says, she said that the voices told her that the devil was in her son. She would avoid looking into his eyes for fear of seeing the devil. Through the course of her evaluation by Dr. Seller, Sanchez elaborated on the circumstances surrounding the death of baby Scott and what the voices were saying. According to Sanchez, the voices told her that her mother had killed President John F. Kennedy and Marilyn Monroe and that the KKK was mad at her for killing, was mad at her mother for killing JFK. In Sanchez's interview with Dr. Per year, she says, the voices told me to hurt Scotty. He was going to be the apocalypse. Further in the interview, Sanchez explains the decision to kill her son, saying, the voices told me to eat his insides. I was a harlot because I had committed adultery. There was a demon in my stomach. The demons would come out of her stomach if she ate Scotty. This had to be done by five in the morning, or Scotty would evolve and he would no longer be possessed. Sanchez says the act of eating her child made her gag and throw up, but the voices told her to eat again. After her arrest for the death of Scotty, Adi Sanchez was taken to University Hospital, where she continued to hear the voices, this time telling her that she was going to get a heart transplant and that she was going to be hurt. Both Dr. Sellers and per year concluded after their evaluations that Adi Sanchez was suffering from mental illness. In a report, Dr. Perrier wrote, it is my medical opinion that Mrs. Adi Sanchez was incapable of telling the difference between reality and her delusions. Dr. Sellers echoed similar comments, writing, it is my opinion based upon reasonable medical evidence that Ms. Sanchez had a severe mental illness paranoid schizophrenia at the time of the alleged crime. On Thursday, Adi Sanchez was found not guilty by reason of insanity. She will be sent to state mental institution in Vernon, Texas, where she will receive a yearly evaluation of her mental capacity by the court. You're listening to Midnight Radio. I'm your host, Jerry Adams. These are some of the stories we're going to be covering today. The first story was cannibalistic mother eats her baby, three and a half weeks old. She said the devil made her do it. Do you believe in schizophrenia or sometimes maybe it is the devil? We're also going to talk about the Craigslist murder of a woman who was going to get some clothing from a woman. They met on Craigslist, 
the woman takes her baby from her stomach. We're going to talk about the case of a Melissa Town. We're going to talk about the recent, the recent justice for Kristen Stewart. We're going to give you the latest on the QAnon killers murder list. And there's a study from the Columbia Mass Murder Database. We're going to go over that and more. I have some more information on the Delphi murder on Midnight Radio. If you'd like to call in, leave us a voicemail message up to three minutes for that voicemail message. The phone number is 325-261-0892. That is 325-261-0892. 325-261-0892. If you comment or question, we'll play it here on the show. If you'd like to email me a story or email me a comment or question, I'll read it on the show. You can do that at midnightrad.io101 at gmail.com. That is midnightrad.io101 at gmail.com. This 911 call is horrific and remarkable. She cut me. Who cut you? In this home, a 26-year-old woman lies beaten, stabbed, and bleeding. Despite shock and unimaginable suffering, she finds the strength to make the call that will save her life and lead to her attacker. What did she cut you with? Police arrive in minutes and only then learn the horror she's been through. According to authorities, the woman, who they're not identifying, was seven months pregnant and responding to an online ad. She was shopping on Craigslist, and she came to this house to pick up some baby clothes. Once there, police say 34-year-old Dinelle Lane brutally assaulted the mother-to-be, then cut the unborn child from her abdomen. The victim was taken to the local hospital, the same hospital where the suspect arrived with the fetus, claiming she had miscarried. It didn't take long for doctors. and authorities to put two and two together. But the premature infant was already dead. The tragedy is just the latest in a string of recent Craigslist-connected crimes. The company reports close to 80 million ads on its website every month, and most of the transactions go smoothly. But earlier this year, a suburban Atlanta couple went to buy their dream car, a 1966 Mustang they had found on Craigslist. But there was no car. Instead, a South Georgia man has been charged with the couple's murders. In February, a college student from Atlanta thought he had found the iPhone he wanted on Craigslist. When he replied to the ad, he was robbed, shot, and killed. Crimes like these and other close calls motivated the Woodstock Police Department outside Atlanta to offer their parking lot, even their lobby, as a neutral and safe site for buyers and sellers to meet. A vigilant community is a safe community. Craigslist itself cautions customers about the potential pitfalls of online selling, offering a link to safety tips on each posting. The grisly cutting of a fetus from a a woman began with a Craigslist ad about baby clothes for sale. Michelle Wilkins, a 26-year-old woman who was seven months pregnant, arrived at the seller's home just before noon on Wednesday in Longmont, Colorado. This happened in 2015. To announce her arrival, she texted the seller, a woman who went by D, according to a narrative provided by a police report. The seller was later identified as Daniel Lane, 34, a former nurse aide who was ordered held on $2 million bail while prosecutors weighed the charges against her and whether to accuse her of killing a fetus. 
Lane was accused of stabbing Wilkins and removing the fetus. The fetus died, but the mother survived. It has a very optimistic prognosis. Searching the split-level home, police found several bloody towels being laundered in the washing machine. David Ridley, the 35-year-old husband of Daniel Lane, told police he had returned home earlier after leaving work to meet his wife. As the husband walked downstairs toward the basement, his wife walked around the corner covered in blood, the report said. She told David she just miscarried and the baby was in the bathtub upstairs. After Ridley readily saw his bloody wife, he ran to the bathroom and found a small baby lying in the bathtub. He rubbed the baby slightly, then rolled it over to see it take a gasping breath, the report said. Ridley wrapped the baby in a towel and apparently unaware that his mother was still bleeding inside the house, drove the baby and his wife to the emergency room of Longmont United Hospital. Wilkins was later taken for treatment at the same hospital. The emergency room noticed the victim had an incision on her abdomen that appeared to be well-performed. The doctor observed that the person who did the incision would have to have researched the subject of cesarean births in books or online to achieve that level of accuracy. Lane was a certified nurse aide starting July 1st, 2010, her license expired in 2012 with no history of discipline or board actions. While at the hospital with Elena, police investigators saw no visual signs of vaginal bleeding coming from Dinal or any signs of having recently given birth. Lane refused to allow hospital staff to examine her vaginally. Dinal admitted to Detective Stacy Graham that she cut an abdomen open to remove the baby. The hospital told police the baby was approximately seven months old, and would have been viable. Police then obtained a search warrant to search Lane's body. The findings of that warrant weren't revealed. Suggestions of another lost pregnancy. Lane had told her family months earlier that she was pregnant, even showing them an ultrasound photo of a boy in December. Her husband's early departure from work was to take her to a prenatal appointment, police said, but... One of Lane's two teenage daughters later told investigators that she could not tell Dinal was pregnant and she was very petite. When asked Thursday whether Lane may have earlier lost a pregnancy, prosecutors said they couldn't comment. In July 2002, Lane was apparently in another miscarriage and lost a 19-month-old son to accidental drowning in a decorative pond. Mm -hmm. 
Melissa Town behind bars accused of killing her five-year-old daughter in a brutal attack. Deputies say she had her daughter get on her knees, grabbed her hair, and used a knife to slice her throat. Her daughter putting up a fight, screaming and crying, at one point even saying, I've been good. Town is then accused of sitting on top of her daughter, covering her mouth and putting a trash bag over her head. Family members tell ABC 13 that the father of the child had custody. Neighbors in this quiet neighborhood in Magnolia say the child lived there for a while with her father and the grandparents. We all knew that her mother was disturbed and had issues. Um, and we, we never let her, um, she would come in the neighborhood and try to, try to get her and you know we never let her take the baby and we never let her um, see her anything you know he the dad let us know that there was issues which we all knew I mean she used to live here and she would talk to the trees and walk up and down the road and the neighbor who wants to stay anonymous says the neighborhood took turns caring for the child we all knew that something was wrong and that she was not good for her baby so we just kept her away and um, we, we didn't want anything to happen to her, so we tried the best we could, the neighborhood, you know, especially our street, to protect her. But I can't imagine anyone ever doing that to a child at, at all. And then when you find out it's someone you know, and especially the sweet little baby that she was, it just breaks your heart. She says the father was single trying to make ends meet. He loved her so much and um, yeah he struggled you know I mean he was a single dad he didn't make a lot of money officials with child protective services tells us town does have a history with CPS refusing to give us any other details those who once cared for the little girl want to know how this could happen you know we're a very close-knit family here and um, and she was just adorable she um, she's the sweetest baby and um, you know, her daddy loved her to death. Melissa Town behind bars accused of killing her five-year-old daughter in a brutal attack. Deputies say she had her daughter get on her knees, grabbed her hair, and used a knife to slice her throat. Her daughter putting up a fight, screaming and crying, at one point even saying, I've been good. Town is then accused of sitting on top of her daughter, covering her mouth and putting a trash bag over her head. Family members tell ABC 13 that the father of the child had custody. Neighbors in this quiet neighborhood in Magnolia say the child lived there for a while with her father. Melissa Town, 37, had a history of mental illness. She killed her five-year-old girl because she said the child was an evil child. Her lawyer told the reporters after the hearing that she was diagnosed as a schizophrenic and has been institutionalized at least nine times due to mental illness. There's no doubt there's some dark demons haunting her, her lawyer Stafford said. Authorities allege that Town took the girl to a wooded area near a park in Houston suburb 
made her get on her knees and cut her throat with a knife. The girl began to scream and fight. Tom placed a trash bag overhead. This is according to a probable cause affidavit. She's accused of strangling her daughter for 30 to 45 minutes. Town stated that she wanted to end her daughter's life because she was an evil child and did not want to deal with her anymore. Authorities allege that Town then took her daughter's body to a hospital where a nurse found the girl inside a laundry mesh bag on the floorboard of the passenger side of her SUV. Child Protective Services said it was also investigating the child's death and that town had a prior history with the agency. Didn't give any more information. But they said that town has three other children ranging in age from 2 to 18 who are safe and had been living with other relatives. And all these cases I've been going over recently, and these are all from Texas, And they're all from Texas because there's this other case I'm trying to find and I can't find it again. So it leads me to these others. There's always a talk of demons and always a talk of schizophrenia. I believe demonic possession and demonic influence mimics schizophrenia. I can't say that schizophrenia isn't real. And I could be wrong. I'd like to hear from you about this. But I think it is overdiagnosed, especially when it comes to the the people, the women who are murdering their children, slaughtering their children, are telling you that the devil influenced them to do it, not that they aren't guilty, but that the devil made them do it. This is what they're saying. And they're getting diagnosed with schizophrenia. They... Many of these women are on mind-altering drugs, which opens them up to demonic possession. It's just something to think about. Think about things on the other side. But a lot of this, if you want to go to the finger of blame, I want to point right to the fathers of these children because they're never around, are they? Single father in this case. In the last case of Adi Sanchez, I think her husband or I'm sorry, they probably weren't married. Her man left a week before, and they were separated. And Look at what happens. This is horrible, men. Men need to man up. And if you get her pregnant, don't even get, don't even, it just doesn't accidentally happen. You should never have sex with someone you don't intend to marry. And beyond that, you should be married before you have sex. I would. How many people, how many lives would be saved if that were the case? Isn't that the rule in the Bible? You think there's a reason for that? When anybody goes against what's said in that Bible, including me, you open yourself up to the fingers of darkness to reach themselves in your mind, in your heart, in your soul. You give them the legal right to enter your life, and that is what happens. These stories are chilling. I do not tell you about these without reverence to those that die, especially these little babies. 
Sometimes it's all I can do to keep my composure, but why do I do it? Because I don't believe in filtering out the bad info because it makes you uncomfortable. I believe you need to look at this dead on and see it for what it is. And you want to talk about evil. Nothing is more evil than little babies being murdered. And if you think there is, you let me know. Numbers 325-261-0892. I will not censor you. The way I operate in my mind, I have my beliefs and I have the things I know because of my experience. The sky is blue. The ground is brown. The grass is green. I will listen to what you have to say and I will put more relevance to what you say than my beliefs. And then I will weigh them. And if what you have to say and what you have to say does not make sense, I'll throw it away. But I do want to hear it because if you're not open to information, you go around always right. Those people that go around always being right, you go around being a dumbass. That is a recipe for being a dumbass. Next up, speaking about dumbasses, this is a Kristen, Kristen Smart killer. I lived in California at the time of this. I was under the tutelage of a man named Mike Smith. And he was really tore up about this case. A California jury, let me give you the date of this. This is October 18th. A California jury has found Paul Flores, the man accused of the 1996 murder of Kristen Smart, guilty of first-degree murder. Meanwhile, a separate jury found Flores' father, Ruben, now 81, not guilty of being an accessory to Smart's murder. Prosecutors alleged Flores, now 45, raped or attempted to rape Smart and killed her in his dorm room while he and the victim were students at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo and then his father helped move her body to his home in nearby Arrero Grande, hiding her body for a time under his desk. Smart's disappearance haunted idyllic San Luis Obispo, a small college city with little more than 47,000 residents less than 10 miles from the Pacific Ocean. Paul Flores and Smart were both 19-year-old freshmen on the campus, which has a reputation for being among the most selective and academically rigorous in the California state system. Smart's body was, has never been found. But almost 25 years after she disappeared, authorities said new evidence led to the arrest of Paul and Ruben Flores in April 2021. Deputy District Attorney Christopher told jurors during the trial in July that searches of Ruben Flores' house turned up soil samples that tested positive for human blood. Documents in the case of Sheriff's Office detective stated Investigators are in possession of biological evidence that makes them believe the victim was buried underneath the defendant's, Ruben Flores, the father's deck at one time. Prosecutors believe the father and son moved the body to another location before authorities searched the property. 
Now, LaFlores' lawyers vehemently asserted their client's innocence, repeatedly citing a lack of eyewitness evidence. Now, let me reiterate this. Paul Flores was found guilty. Ruben Flores, the father, was found not guilty of being an accessory. Let me tell you how this probably happened. The father turned on the son and told the truth and got a deal. We won't go over we won't go after you if you tell us what Paul did. Got this story about the latest QAnon killer, how he had a murder hit list. Now, this is something that you and I should discuss. This is brand new. Story's updated November 5th of this year. Latest QAnon killer had murder hit list by Will Summer. Rory Banks slipped out of his Sacramento area house late one night in May 2021. He was ready to kill. The 44-year-old had two guns, four knives, pepper spray, and a hit list of registered sex offenders in his town. Banks was driven by an unusual motivation, but one that's become increasingly common across the United States in driving violence, QAnon. Banks had become enthralled with the pro-Trump conspiracy theory online. He frequented Telegram, the social media app popular with QAnon users convinced world elites are engaged in satanic pedophile cannibal rituals. He put a Q sticker on his car. Banks' murderous QAnon hunt would end in tragedy for a man who had never met him. According to police and prosecutors, after leaving his house Banks would break into the home of Ralph Mendez, a 55-year-old man listed on California's sex offender registry. Banks executed Mendez, according to a statement released by the prosecutors, killing him with shots to his head and torso. In late October, a jury in California's Yuba County found Banks guilty of Mendez's premeditated murder. A year after the killing, Banks' trial revealed the extent to which QAnon motivated him to kill, adding his name to a growing list of criminals driven to violence by the theory. As a sign of how common QAnon violence has become, the jury verdict was delivered on the same day as the violent hammer attack on Speaker Nancy Pelosi's husband, violence committed by a suspect who, according to his blog, was also obsessed with QAnon. Okay, so this man is obsessed with QAnon and they put, this is a Daily Beast, by the way, a Democratic news outlet. And they equate that to what happened to Nancy Pelosi. Nancy Pelosi's husband, who had a apparently a blog where he was pro-QAnon. Rory Banks, this man who killed the pedophile, he woke up that morning, kissed his wife goodbye, took his guns, left to kill a man? No. Just because he was motivated by QAnon? I'm not apologizing or being an apologist for what this man did or apologist for QAnon. No, QAnon is crazy as rat turds. Saying rat turds or M&Ms. But I'm saying this, this man committed a form of suicide. You know, something else was going on in his life. You can have these women who eat their babies and kill them and say, well, they had mental issues. Then you have this man... And you're blaming QAnon for shooting a pedophile because QAnon motivated to do it 
I bet this man, man, there's more to it than his adherence to QAnon's conspiratorial beliefs. There's more to it than that. This man, this was his last hoorah. He didn't intend on going back. This was it. This was all he was going to do. So to say that this was politically motivated really really just kind of hides over the fact Now he was married at the time because his wife told a local TV station that her husband was interested in QAnon and had talked to her with concern about the number of sex offenders he was able to find in, in the area. You know, where I live, I live in a small place in the Badlands of Texas. You know, right now I'm blasting to you through the plains, through the plains of rolling dead grass. And I looked up the sex offender list. There's a lot of sex offenders. Parents beware. And you know, most of the recurrences that I've seen lately were from women sex offenders in the area. Nevertheless, this is an interesting part of this story too. And I'm going to read to you where they go here. Now, a link to all of this I'm talking to you about is going to be on the show notes page of the podcast that you can get in your favorite app, completely available. Now, it says Banks isn't the only person accused of taking inspiration from QAnon to commit murder. One QAnon believer was accused of murdering a mafia boss as part of a twisted plot to bring the man to a QAnon tribunal. Another allegedly killed his own brother, after mistaking him for a lizard person. So these are people with delusions, are they not? And yet we're just going to say it's because of this thing they follow online. While one QAnon follower is set to stand trial for murdering a man after she became convinced he was working with QAnon's mythical cabal to keep her from her children. This is something to think about. Now we're talking about murders. And we have to talk about this. Columbia Mass Murder Database reveals mass school shootings are not caused by mental illness. This is brand new. Breaking today, November 7th. Just released. Breaking. Researchers examining 82 mass murders that occurred at least partially in academic settings just partially throughout the world found that most mass murders and mass shooters did not have severe psychiatric illness. The work was done by a research team at Columbia university, Irving medical center and New York state psychiatric Institute. I'm going to try to find some accurate numbers here of their sampling. Okay. trying to find the years actually we would have to look up the study okay here we go now they only had 82 incidents of mass murder 
involving academic settings. So they only had 82 events. Nearly half, not half, but 47.6 were U.S.-based, not all of them. And also, there's the times, the year they started. Consistent with previous reports, perpetrators of mass shootings involve academic settings are primarily Caucasian, 66.7, and male, 100%. Most involve... Oh, this is funny. A male and male, 100%. Oh, my Lord. There was a redhead woman in the 1970s that sat on her porch. She was about 16 years old with a twenty two rifle and murdered. This is the first school shooting in the USA. This is what kicked it all off. When they arrested her, she she was shooting at a primary school. She got the principal and a bunch of kids. They asked her why she did it. She said, I don't like Mondays. And there's a documentary about it saying, I don't like Mondays. So, and male, 100%, not true. Uh, might be 100% of the sampling you have. So I put this out on No Agenda Social. It's where the cool kids hang out. Instead of Twitter, Twitter wasn't cool, isn't cool, will never be cool. No Agenda Social. It's a Mastodon instance, part of the federated network where you can get some real feedback on things. It also says here that 45.6% of the mass shootings ended with the perpetrator's suicide. Severe mental illness or psychosis was absent in the majority of perpetrators. Why won't they give us a percentage on that? When present, psychiatric symptoms were more often associated with mass murders involving means other than firearms. So basically, their findings were very scant. Here we go. To conduct their study, the researchers analyzed data from the Columbia Mass Murder Database. This was developed by COPE team as a resource to gain much needed insight into the relationship between serious mental illness and mass shootings. Creating the CMMD involved an extensive review of 14,785 murders publicly described in English in print or online occurring worldwide, worldwide between 1900 and 2019. So I presented this article on No Agenda Social. I got a lot of feedback saying that this, let me pull up, a lot of feedback saying that this is a very biased, very, very biased study. Somebody put, hmm, they looked at 82 mass murders in quote-unquote, academic settings worldwide. 30 of those did not involve firearms. Average age of the perpetrator was 28. The data was collected from news reports starting in the year 1900, which was well known for its advanced grasp of psychology. It's a very flawed study designed to give a predetermined outcome. Odd headline. Here's another comment odd headline considering firearms were only used in 63% of the incidents they studied. So do you think it was biased? 
Whether you agree, agree it was biased or not, it sure was scant on information, don't you? Don't you think so? What was their purpose of this study? Well, they say what their purpose is. The findings, according to the researchers, could aid lawmakers and law enforcement authorities in understanding the phenomena of mass school shootings, how they differ from other types of mass murders, and how to spot youth who may be problematic but aren't necessarily schizophrenic or insane. The author stresses that these data, that this data, actually says these data, cannot be used to predict behavior on an individual level. Here's a quote by Dr. Applebaum. The findings strongly suggest that focusing on mental illness, particularly psychotic illness, when talking about mass school shootings risks, is missing other factors that contribute to the vast majority of cases as well as exacerbating the already widespread stigma surrounding severe mental illness. I think this was just released today. I think this is part of campaigning for the Democrats' campaign. I've, I know a lot of Democrats, and they love shooting guns. But this is part of the the election cycle. It's what they always go about, abortion and guns, abortion and guns. Although, you know, this, this, it does look flawed, and it does seem that if they did go off that database, there's some more they need to put in there. I have some more news for you. Actually, more than... Brand new. It's a different perspective. And this came from the new news organization, News Nation. It's one that Chris Cuomo finally got hired at, but it's not him talking. They were walking on a trail in Delphi, Indiana. Turning now to new details tonight in the high-profile murders of two teenage girls, Abby Williams and Libby German. The two best friends were killed in 2017 as they were walking on a trail in Delphi, Indiana. And now Richard Allen, the man charged earlier this week for their murders, will be transferred from a county jail to the Indiana Department of Corrections for his own safety. On Thursday, a Carroll County judge requested that Allen be handed over, saying the suspect is in imminent danger of serious bodily injury or even death and that same day we've gone over that himself but they have the some All right now news nation is piecing together information psychological about information another what you man once considered a person of interest in this Ron case. Logan remember him? his name Ronald Logan Logan owned the property where Libby and Abby's bodies were found and an FBI search warrant obtained by news nation a special agent stated there is probable cause to believe that Logan has committed the crime of murder and evidence of that could be found on his property Property. Logan, however, was never charged, and he died in 2020. You think maybe Joining they have the wrong man? The latest information and provide some context here is former FBI agent Jennifer Koffendoffer, investigative producer and author Chris Todd, and private investigator Jason Jensen. Thank you so much all for being here. And Jennifer, I do want to start with you. Uh, former FBI agent Nicole Robertson swore under oath that she believes evidence of a homicide was located at the residence of Ronald Logan, and the girls were found on his property. Why was he never arrested? He wasn't arrested basically because um, the individuals who were in charge of the investigation felt he was too old to have committed a crime like this. And so much of the information and the probable cause developed was sort of brushed aside. Also, keep in mind that affidavit was not served until a month after the crime was committed. 
This was huge because it allowed for Mr. Logan, if he did commit this crime, uh, to remove, dispose of, clean uh, evidence that could have otherwise linked him to the crime. So those two factors uh, resulted in him not being charged. And Jennifer, we'll stick with you for a moment. The FBI discovered that Ronald Logan lied about his alibi, where he was on the night of the girl's murder. His cousin admitted to lying to the feds. Wouldn't that be enough for an arrest? Well, that's not enough, but that is a crucial point. Why did he want her to lie? And actually, she he asked her to lie well in advance of even that interview. So it's a, a situation that seemed very calculated and premeditated in terms of covering up what he was or was not involved in concerning their murders. And, and Chris, can I turn to you? You just released a book on the Delphi murders. What did you find in your investigation? Yeah, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Um, and out of protection of all the parties here today, I do want to say that, you know, this is through my investigation, uh, Jason and I, we opine that Ron Logan killed Abby and Libby. And this is a four-year investigation also in my relationship with some of the family members that I worked on the case for free. Um, and I brought Jason in to help me, and Jason brought a lot of knowledge to the case that I wanted some outside help on. And I do believe that Ron Logan was responsible for the murders of Abby and Libby. What is the most compelling piece of evidence that, that turned to your mind about this? In 2019, I told the families and ISP and Carroll County that I believed it was Ron Logan. And I'm a bit of an outsider. I'm out here in California. So I understand that they didn't want to listen to me. Um, I walked away for about two years and I worked on other cases. When the FBI search warrant was leaked, and no one still knows how that was leaked, I saw Ron's Logan name all over this search warrant, and then it started to corroborate him saying, well, if this FBI agent is pointing out these cell phone pings, this lying about the alibi, he has the same gait, walk, um, his appearance is the same, his voice is not inconsistent with bridge guy. So I do believe that Ron Logan is bridge guy. Can you help lay out the evidence that our viewers may not know about this case? Well, this thing's moving a thousand miles an hour right now. And with the Richard Allen, what I'm hearing right now, which is kind of scaring me, is Richard Allen may very well be the accomplice with Ron Logan. There is no scenario where it's just Richard Allen. So I think the best evidence comes from the FBI, the agent that listed the cell phone pinging in the vicinity of the Monon Bridge at the time of the murders and also pinging at the bodies at 8 p.m. and 10:15 p.m. So the alibi is big. There were multiple people that came forward that said Ron Logan was violent, that he had threatened to murder people before. And I think the video of the bridge guy itself, the clothing, and I think Jason can touch upon that too. I think it's right in front of us. That's why I named my book Forest for the Trees. They can't see what's right in front of them. Jason, I do want to bring you in. Can you talk a little bit more about what evidence you found compelling here? And, and what do you make of the idea that Ron Logan was simply too old to do something like this? Yeah, the, the first thing that really caught my attention to this is Bridge Guy was wearing that classic blue jacket we've seen numerous times in a, in a, in a camel ball cap. Two days after the murder, Ron Logan's wearing the exact same attire while being interviewed by a reporter. So that's the first thing that cued me in. It's like, oh my gosh, this is his property. The girls were murdered on his 
on his land, and he's got the audacity to wear the same clothing at the time of an interview while he's acting completely nonchalant and oblivious to the, the crimes themselves being committed where he had perfect access to. And, and, and what was your second question? Um, I, I was just asking about what was compelling to you. Why do you believe that 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 it is actually Ron Logan? Well, yeah, exactly. Well, for starts, was the his appearance matched the bridge guy, and then all the evidence that was outlined by by not only the FBI but we have whistleblowers that you know Chris Todd writes about in his book that came forward to tell us that the only thing that excluded. Uh, them from going after Ron Logan was simply his age, which we know age is not a disqualifier. Disability is a, is a disqualifier. Just because he's 77 doesn't mean he's not capable of committing a, a, a heinous crime I like hear you. this. So, Jason, you don't believe he was too old to commit something like this? No, no, no. He was, he was well able to traverse up and down the hill. There's plenty of footage of him doing that. After the murders, he was proud to take people to the crime scene and show them where, where the murders happened, it's not like he was infirmed or anything like that where he couldn't, he didn't have mobility on his own property. He was well uh, capable of, of moving about. Jennifer. I'm looking at the video because they're showing it of the bridge guy walking, you know, where he tells them down the bridge, down the hill. He's got a limp, so if you could check the way these men walk, then you could tell more from it. Is there a medical? Looks like he's favoring his right leg as he's walking. If they can get some medical records on that right knee of both those guys. So they're saying, they're saying that Ron Logan was involved heavily. And they're saying that Richard Allen, the one who recently got arrested a few days ago, they're saying that he. He was involved too. So, ladies and gentlemen, there's a whole lot more that's going to come out on this case. And if they get, if they get Richard Allen, if they take like the death penalty off the table or something, I can't remember if they have that in Wisconsin or not. Is it, that is where this is, right? No, Indiana. I, I really don't know about Indiana. So if they get that. This this is a this is quite the horrific case here. For I want to turn it over to you for final thoughts. Uh, will the investigation into Logan be brought up potentially in Allen's trial? I mean, some might see him as the perfect fall guy because he isn't here to defend himself. He is no longer with us. Well, that's a very good point, and I feel like in any trial, uh, what a juror is going to have to look at is, is there reasonable doubt? And in this situation, if they are saying that Richard Allen is the only person responsible uh, for these heinous crimes, uh, unless they have very direct physical evidence, and if they are saying that Mr. Logan is not also linked, uh, I think it could be an uphill battle uh, in a... They waited a long time before they charged Richard Allen. They have information. Make no doubt about that. They have all kinds of evidence against Richard Allen. I'm sure of it. And they let him do stuff, and they knew they were looking at him before anyone ever knew about it. So, yeah, Richard Allen was involved. So we're going to go over that evidence when they start having this trial, which shouldn't be too long. 
But was that other man, was he, Logan, was he involved too? Will Richard Allen talk about that other guy? A jury, uh, for a jury to make that conclusion. Chris, I do want to ask one more question to you. What is your biggest concern as you're watching all of this unfold uh, and, and a potential trial going forward for Allen as well? I think it's a fascinating story, and I'm not trying to talk about it like a product or something like that, but this is a very unique situation, and my message would be to ISP and the Carroll County Sheriff, you have Richard Allen here, go get him. You know, I, I said it was Ron Logan. Jason helped me say that also. We had Leo whistleblowers come to us saying they believed it was Ron Logan also. My job is pretty much done here. I do plan on walking away from this. I wrote the book. I came for it, stuck my neck out. I dedicated the book to Abby and Libby and to our nation that turned a blind eye. And I'm not trying to blame anyone. I'm just saying, moving forward, let's see what we have on Richard Allen. It's a fascinating story right now. And I think the ISP in Carroll County did a great job to finally find this guy. No one said this guy's name once. So they've done something right here at this point. What role do you believe Allen did play and what should he be held responsible for? Well, if he is the accomplice, then he they have the death penalty in Indiana and I believe they will seek that. Um, I do have some sources that kind of paint the picture, and I'll give a shout quickly to Delphi After Dark, um, that podcast, that they do paint a very compelling picture with this eyewitness at the plaza seeing a man in black clothing with a strange look. He could weave down to the property without going on the bridge. He could end up right at Ron Logan's property. So does Ron Logan call Richard Allen, who's on a burner phone, and say, it's on, let's go, and meet me down on my property? We don't know. I can't confirm or deny it, but right now, from everything I see, you have a double murder arrest. You have a $20 million bond. They have something on Richard Allen. I appreciate this. This is It is a complicated case, and I certainly appreciate all of your time tonight. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. I'd like to thank you for tuning in for these very dark stories. I'd like to hear what you think about it. White House columnist with our partner. And hit us up. Phone number 325-261-0892. That's 325-261-0892. 325-261-0892. You can email us at midnightrad.io101 at gmail.com. You can check us out at, on our website, midnightrad.io. Podcast available on all major platforms. Thank you and God bless.